Good morning, Calvary. How are you today? Awesome. I am Ross Bennett, and I'm proud to serve with you as an elder, and it's my privilege to read the scripture this morning. So we're going to read, if you want to uh, turn in your Bibles, we're going to read to, uh, from Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read 1 through 13. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all that time and became very hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For scriptures say, He will order His angels to protect and guard you. They will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus... He left him until the next opportunity came. Thank you, Ross. Thank you. Good morning, Calvary Church. It is time to get ready. This is the last talk in this series to get ready to prepare ourselves as Jesus prepared himself for the season of ministry that's about to be unleashed. Right after this, he's about to start casting out demons, healing people, proclaiming his kingdom. And this is this last stage in that get ready process. And we will see if Jesus is ready for the test. Ready for the test. Because this is a time of testing that he goes through. Uh, I keep your uh, you know, Bible ready in Luke 4. We're also going to be turning back to Deuteronomy if you want to start thinking about that as well. So we'll be looking throughout the scriptures today. But this story starts with Jesus fasting in the wilderness. So he's out in the wilderness. It says the Holy Spirit led him there, and he's full of the Holy Spirit as he goes out there. But he spends 40 days in the wilderness. And it even interestingly says he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. We just get these kind of, you know, this quick little three temptations here about how that looked of that happening over the course of these 40 days. But imagine 40 days in the Judean wilderness. This is what it's like. This is what this area is like to be in. The Greek Orthodox Church actually built a monastery that is named after this story of the temptation into a cliffside, kind of near Jericho, but is in that region of the Judean wilderness. It's pretty rough. 
I don't think Jesus was sitting on this, or, you know, standing on this uh, cliff as this story was happening, but it is an uh, intense area of fasting. I even want to encourage you, I have like so much to say today, and I'm not going to say it all. So listen to the podcast this week, because I'm going to actually get I'm like into a lot of stuff, some fun stories, some fun details that we'll talk through even more detail. But 40 days 40 years of wilderness of the people of Israel wandering, right? Wandering in the wilderness and all the things that they went through of being tested in ways and failing in many ways as well. And we see Jesus passing the test because it's at this point of physical weakness but spiritual strength. That is where Jesus is as the enemy, as the devil comes to him to bring temptation to him. And so we, we think about even, okay, so what's the deal? The devil, it says. The devil comes to tempt him. The tester, the Satan, the adversary, okay? Satan even, not really a proper name, more of like a title or category. He is the adversary, the enemy, the deceiver, the liar, uh, different paintings that you have over time where you see how the devil is portrayed as this sort of gargoyle-like figure, a little more uh, influenced by Dante and Milton, Dante's Inferno, Paradise Lost, these sorts of things, like influence more of what our image of the devil is as this sort of red-horned, you know, gargoyle-type figure that you see here in this temptation uh, of Christ painting. There's others as well as the sort of the, the image begins to morph a bit over time. And then even you have this one that's kind of wild where uh, this is a painting of the temptation of Christ story of Jesus and the devil. Now this is the late 1600s where after the Reformation, there's this 30 years war in the 1600s where the Protestants are fighting the Catholics in Central Europe. And you have a war where, where something like six to eight million people die and we don't even like think about or talk about it. After this war, there's this painting that's obviously from the Protestant perspective as they have a Catholic monk as the role of the devil, okay? Now, whatever you think, it's a little harsh, okay? But it's just, uh, this is where you see kind of like the art of these scenes changing over time. But the devil isn't that red-horned figure, nor is the devil a monk. Uh, but the devil comes to Jesus as this, this person figure coming with questions, coming with temptation, coming with testing. And there's echoes in this story of the Garden of Eden with the serpent coming and starting to, to question God's plan question God's goodness. Did God really say? Kind of bringing in these doubts, chipping away at people. There's also echoes of the time of Israel in the wilderness, as we've already said, as they grumble and complain and end up turning to, to idols, worshiping idols, per, trying to provide for themselves instead of relying on God's provision for them, even in the midst of God giving them bread from heaven as they then continue to want to provide for themselves. But uh, this is this time of tempting, testing. The word here, this Greek word perazzo and all of its other forms that you see in this story is this word that means 
uh, uh, it's like a little bit even more different than just tempt, like in the sense of if I'm sort of, you know, putting before you a, you know, like you've given up candy and now I'm like, oh, eat the treat. You know, it's not, it's a little different than that, okay? It's this time of testing to try to trap Jesus, that that's what the devil is coming to do. The Pharisees actually uh, come to Jesus with these questions to try to trick him and trap him. And it's this same word that's used with that when they come to Jesus with these, with these questions that they have for him. But it's also a word that's not just only bad. Like we think of tempting as, as only bad. This word of testing, it, it's also uh, can be used of yourself to examine yourself, to test yourself. A test is difficult, it's stressful, but a test kind of reveals the truth of, of what you know or who you are. And that's what this testing is doing, is it will reveal who Jesus really is. And so we look at this uh, whole story, kind of, I want you to even see all of this in light of that, in light of testing even more than just tempting, okay? So let's look then into what these three temptations are, these three tests are, uh, in a little bit more detail. And so this first one I'm calling the first temptation of Jesus to not trust the Father. This wasn't just a temptation of food. This is a temptation of not trusting in the Father's plan. Let's remind ourselves of it. Luke 4, 3, and 4. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, Tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Okay, so this first temptation, right? It doesn't seem like a bad thing. Like, is it actually just a bad thing to turn a stone to bread? Is it a bad thing for Jesus to do that? I don't think on the surface it's like an inherently bad or evil thing to do. It's not like uh, the next temptation where he's supposed to bow down to the devil. I mean, that's like a little more blatantly bad, right? Now, so this one, we got to look into what is going on here. I think a couple things. One is that the devil is trying to get Jesus to make an agreement with him, even an agreement that doesn't seem bad. Okay? You begin to make agreements with the enemy, and it's, I'm, I'm not like a big slippery slope like, kind of guy. Like, I don't, I'm not always talking about the slippery slope sort of argument, but that's what this is. Okay? It's like the beginning of this where it's like make this one agreement with me, and now I'm going to take you to another place and another and another a little bit further along. That, um, and it's part of why I think this testing uh, like framework of all of this makes a lot of sense because the enemy is trying to get Jesus to stop being in agreement with the Father and the plan of the Father and in an agreement with him. And the way he does it here is with this first word, if. He just comes right at him. If you are the Son of God, he's sowing a seed of doubt of Jesus's identity. If you are the Son of God, right? Like, did God really say now imagine where Jesus just came from. Remember what Jesus has just done and what he's doing. He just came from the baptism. His baptism by John the Baptist and the most incredible, beautiful moment of the Father looking down and saying, this is my Son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. 
just hearing these words of his true identity and his love of the Father. And it's like this moment in the Bible where, where this moment is like just for Jesus, right? He just gets to have this incredible, beautiful moment with his Father. And then he says, okay, now what I'm going to go do, led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, go out into the wilderness, out into the desert, and spend time in fasting and in prayer. That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. I mean, it is like you've just come home from summer camp. You've had the biggest, like, mountain high with Jesus of your life, right? You're just in the the perfect state of being in love with God, and boom, right then, that's when the attack comes of what's really happened to him. Oh, does the Father really love you? Does he really care about you? If you're the Son of God, just do this. Just do what I tell you to do. He's coming and attacking his identity. He's coming and attacking what Jesus is doing. You go into this time of just, I want to enter a time of intimacy with God and spend time in fasting and prayer, and boom, attack comes of who you really are. You, you will experience this. As you pursue intimacy with the Father, you will experience attack from the enemy in the midst of it. So let's look and see what Jesus does and how Jesus responds. He just straight up just, no. (laughs) Just like, no. And then he recites scripture. So he says this whole thing of people don't live by bread alone. Where's that from? That's from Deuteronomy. Okay, so what I'd love for you to do especially maybe in a paper Bible. There's those ones on the rack in front of you. It's a little easier sometimes to see everything that's going on in the space around it. If you want to turn your device, that's also acceptable, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) But uh, you could just, but look into here and you see in Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 is what Jesus is quoting. I always think it's good, by the way, when you're reading your Bible to look at like when you see an Old Testament reference in the New Testament, go like follow the trail and look at where it was and look at the surrounding context because it's very interesting. Um, By the way, if you are using one of those uh, Bibles on the seat back in front of you there, and if you don't have a Bible at home, we want you to know that those Bibles are free for you to take if you need it, okay? So just recognize that, know that, Don't feel guilty about that or something. You're not stealing from church. We want you to have it. But Deuteronomy 8, it's like starts with this whole thing of, okay, be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you. Verse 2, remember how God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether you'd obey his commands. So Jesus is quoting a scripture, not just man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He's like actually quoting a scripture that talks about being tested, right? It talks about all of what is happening with him here. But then he goes into this whole thing that God, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna. That you were hungry because God wanted to show you that he would provide for you. God has a plan in all of this. And so to succumb to the devil's plan to go away from that, that is to fail that test in that way, relying on the devil instead of relying on God. And God says, no, I will take care of you because man doesn't live, people don't live by bread alone, but they live by everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord, every word. And then it just goes on in chapter 8. So obey him. 
verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, like that's all like obey him and I'm taking you to a good place. I'm leading you to a promised land that's full of wonderful food and, and springs of fresh water. I'm trying to take you to a good place. Trust me as I take you here. And then verse 11, but that's the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you don't forget God. Wow, there's so much going on in Deuteronomy 8. Who knew how awesome Deuteronomy 8 was? There's a lot in there that's like so much more than even just those few words that Jesus said. But I think that he's actually kind of saying all of that as well in the midst of this time. That's what it means to trust in the word of God and not just in bread. And what I love about this story is that this part of this story is that Jesus will succeed where Israel failed. This is a story that's showing you how Israel failed in this test, but Jesus passes the test. You are going to be tested, and you might fail the test on your own, but because Jesus passed the test, you will pass the test. Do you get that? Did you catch that, that train of thought? Okay, Israel failed. We will fail. But Jesus passes the test. And because we rely on the power of God and we rely on Christ and his work, we pass the test if we trust in him. So it's an encouragement to us in the midst of our failings to trust in the power of God. We live in his success, not in our failure. And so for me and my circumstances, I recognize that my, cir my circumstances, the bad things, the hard things, the times of hunger, the times of lack in my life, they will not define who God is for me or, who my, or, like, or where I find my identity. My identity is in Christ, and it won't be changed, it won't be thwarted by my life's circumstances, by my hunger, by my lack. It was not for Jesus as we recognize that. We need bread, but not only bread. We need physical nourishment, but we need spiritual nourishment even more. And so we recognize that. Our lives, we need purpose. We need meaning, and that comes only from being part of God's story. And we need community that comes from being part of God's family, right? And so we recognize that we trust in the Father and the Father's plan. All right, so that's some good stuff from the first one. I gotta go faster. The second temptation, okay, the second temptation of Jesus was to accept the power of this world and not uh, the power of God or over the power of God. And so we remind ourselves again in verse five of Luke four. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. What that means is like, in an instant, he revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, verse 6, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give anyone I please. I will give it all to you if, there's the if again, if you will worship me. Okay, that's a little worse. Uh, Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So this second one is like way more blatant, right? Way more blatant of a, of a, like a bad thing to do. It's like, I don't think you could ever say that this was not bad to worship the devil. Um, but the bait here is like to even accept the offer as valid in the first place. 
okay, to even engage in the offer, uh, like that Jesus doesn't need to engage in that. Now, I say that, but also we do recognize that the devil does seem to have some sort of influence in the authorities of this world or the kingdoms of this world. I mean, we can look at atrocities even in just recent hundred years of history or more of different countries and their governments and the, hor- like the horrible things that, that they would do and that there must be some sort of demonic, satanic influence over that. So he seems to have some sort of influence. But again, that's kind of like what the devil does with this mixture of truth and error, okay? Truth and lie mixed together. We need government. We need government that is good to help bring order to our society. But then we see how, well, then that can also get twisted to do some horrible things that many have done. And so there's this temptation for Jesus to somehow give like his like worship and authority and grant that the devil has the ability to give him this kind of authority for him to bow down would be just like ultimate failure but he does not fail again and what Jesus does is he quotes scripture again and where's the scripture come from Deuteronomy! <laughs> All right? We're back in Deuteronomy again. And so we see in Deuteronomy 6, he says, You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. Now look at Deuteronomy 6, okay? Deuteronomy 6, at the beginning, we see that Deuteronomy 6, 4, that is this whole part of the Bible called the Shema. The Shema, which is this Hebrew word for listen or hear, which means to hear and obey. Okay, that, that here it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then it's saying, pass that along. Talk about it as you walk. Tie it on your head and on your body and put it on your doorpost. This is the part of Bi- the Bible that is the most remembered and revered, really, I think, of all of the scriptures for the Jewish people. This is what they bind on their forehead. If you see like Orthodox Jews that they like wrap that around their arms and put it actually, they actually take that literally. It's on their doorposts in these things called mezuzah where you've got the Shema there to remember this part of scripture. And so Jesus goes back to the part that's like right after that, that is all about love the Lord your God only. You must fear the Lord your God and serve only him. And so again, all of that context that we have here from what Jesus is quoting, he's trying to help us even, I think, by telling us this story, which by the way, this, this story, you think about how people like were able to write down the scriptures, like where did Luke get this? Like Jesus had to tell people this story, right? Jesus is alone out there. Jesus is telling people this story for them to know and pass along. Now, this story is in the book of Luke here as we're reading it. It's in Mark for like two verses. Mark like one or two verses. He just kind of describes it really quickly and moves on. I don't know why. But then Matthew tells the whole story in full in Matthew 4. And with this temptation, before, uh, before Jesus says the Bible verse part, he actually says one other thing in Matthew's story. He says this, get out of here, Satan. Okay. Get out of here, Satan. He rebukes Satan. Get out of here. And then he quotes the rest of that verse. You must fear the Lord and serve him only. Now, 
There's one other place where we see Jesus say, get out of here, get away from me, Satan. And that is also in the book of Matthew. Matthew 16. Get away from me, Satan. Do you know who he's speaking to in this portion of Scripture? He's speaking to Peter. Not the devil, actually, but to Peter, his right-hand man, to the guy that's going to be the leader of the church. He says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, why does Jesus say this to Peter, his his right-hand guy? He says this to Peter because Jesus has just explained how he has to die on the cross, that he has to give his life. And Peter's like, no, you don't die. That's not how this works. You don't have to die. Don't worry about that. You're going to be fine. And Jesus is like, no, get away from me, Satan. Imagine being called Satan by Jesus himself. That's scary. (laughs) That's an intense moment. But the reason was because Peter was seeing all of this from a human point of view, not from the view of God. And so that shows us that God's way of seeing things is different than the way we do. And especially here in this story, when it comes to authority and power and control and riches and all of that, God sees all of that very differently than the way we see that. That we know, we recognize Satan has some sort of influence in that whole realm of things and has something to offer here. But Jesus says, look, power is not what you should be after. Power is not, this kind of, your definition of power, devil, is not what I'm after. I'm coming to show you a completely different version of power. My power comes through humility, through service, through suffering, and even through death. That is how Jesus will display his power. And so when Peter tries to say, no, that's not it, he's previously said, get away from me, Satan, to the devil about this very thing. And now he's seeing Peter as tempting him with the same stuff the devil was trying to tempt him with to seek power and authority and control in realms that he doesn't even need to think about because his mission and his purpose is to suffer and give up and sacrifice and die. So there's so many lessons for us in the midst of this. But let's not look for power and authority and control in things outside of God. God has shown us how to have influence in our world. It is through service, it is through humility, and it is through suffering. And Jesus passes the test in declining the power of this world and to move forward with the power of sacrifice, of love. How much does power and control, and riches tempt you? What is the test of all of that for you, even for good, even for good ends? We've been been called to live according to a different way, a way that is upside down to this world that doesn't make sense to the authorities of this world, but it makes sense to us as followers of the way, as followers of people who 
who go according to the ways of the word of God, not the ways of this world. That's the second temptation. The third temptation of Jesus is to force the Father to prove himself. The, the devil wants to turn this into parlor tricks, okay? Now, let's remind ourselves again as we look at Luke 4, verse 9 through 12. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If, you hear the word again, if you are the Son of God, jump off, for the Scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And so, you have Jesus here in this third temptation uh, upon him, this third test coming at him of the devil trying to attack his identity again. If you're the Son of God, jump off. Let's see. It's this trying to like get the father to prove himself to you. Do you doubt that he'd really take care of you? Do you doubt the word of God that he'd actually take care of you? And Jesus, um, Jesus doesn't fall. Jesus doesn't fall to this. But one thing this shows us here in this test or this temptation is that the devil is smart. And the devil has seen how Jesus uses scripture as a way of opposing the enemy. And now the devil uses scripture himself in his attack. If you see that difference, the devil hadn't used scripture in these other attacks. But now the devil uses scripture. And so recognizing the devil will even be able to twist Scripture to you in some way. And so we have to be careful. And that's part of why I loved, if you remember almost a year ago when Dan Kimball preached here uh, on how not to read the Bible, and he said never read a Bible verse. We always want to read the Bible in its full context as much as possible. And that's what we've done with Deuteronomy. And so what you see here is the devil, what he, the verse he's using is Psalm 91. Okay, Psalm 91, 11 to 12, this whole thing of for he'll order his angels to protect you, guard you, you know, and you not hurt your foot on a stone. <laughs> the devil doesn't use verse 13, okay? The devil stopped there for a reason. You look at the very next verse in the Bible and it says, you will trample upon lions and cobras, you will crush fierce lions and crush serpents under your feet, Shocking the devil doesn't use that verse, okay? That the serpent will be crushed under the feet of the Messiah. That he is the serpent, the serpent will be crushed, that there is victory in God. Genesis 3, 14 to 15, this is the story of the serpent coming to tempt. And the, this is after all of this has happened. They have, Adam and Eve have, have fallen and failed. And the, God says, you've done this, you're cursed, you'll crawl on your belly, groveling. I think, oh, there we go. Gro- groveling on your belly. And then finally it says, sorry guys, I need help. My thing's not working. And finally it says, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, that the Messiah to come, this offspring of the woman in the future, will be bruised by the serpent, but will strike and crush his head. And then Romans sixteen twenty says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
Shocking the devil doesn't include the full context in his testing of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't fall for it. And what Jesus says is from, guess what book? Deuteronomy. Okay, we're back in Deuteronomy again, okay? Maybe you need to read some more Old Testament. Uh, read some more Deuteronomy. That might be a freaky word to you. But God is saying, hey, check all this out. It's got some awesome stuff. And so you read Deuteronomy 6, and it's that same part, that same Shema portion of Scripture, but just a couple verses later. And it says, you must not test the Lord your God, as you did when you complained at Massah. And so we see that this whole point of testing, they were being tested in the wilderness, but then they tested God, the people of Israel. And Jesus says, no, don't test God. And he says the same thing to the devil. Do not test the Lord your God. And so it's just like, I don't know. I feel like this is just a, a radical portion of Scripture. I love these stories. I love how Jesus uses the scripture as defense because his power, the power of Jesus and the power of God to be able, he could jump off a, a cliff. He could jump off the precipice of the temple and be fine. He could do all of that, but his power is for his mission. It's not for parlor tricks. His power is to display who he is and it's to care and transform his people, not to do the bidding of the devil. And as we just, like, even as we remember this, as we want to be people who are not susceptible to temptation or failing the test ourselves, we look at how Jesus uses Scripture, but we also have a recognition that Jesus understands the breadth of Scripture, the fuller context of the Scripture. And... This is why we need to immerse ourselves in a couple things, in two things. One, we need to immerse ourselves in the Bible itself, in the Word of God. That when the devil comes in and tries to, to be a counterfeit to God's way or God's Word, we understand what the full context of Scripture is. We want to immerse ourselves in the real thing. We want to dig deep and read it and, and study it and know it. This is why we want to understand what God's voice sounds like, that we have a great understanding of it. But we also want to immerse ourselves in prayer and listening to God. That may, may the first time that you pray and, and try to listen to God isn't at the point where the enemy is coming to take you out but that you've been in time with the Lord over the course of your life and you're learning to hear again what his voice sounds like in relation to scripture, but also how he speaks to you. And so we have a sense of him. You know the right tone, right? You know the right words, you know the truth, and you weigh the truth of what you would hear according to the full breadth of scripture. And so we need to be able to immerse ourselves in that. It's a it's a way of preparing for attack as well as just being helpful in our lives. And so being a disciple of Jesus is like this, these things that we've talked about today. Being tested, we will be tested to turn from the ways of Jesus and turn toward the ways of this world. Do you recognize God's voice? Or are you tempted by the serpent, by the devil? Did God really say are you really a child of God? Does God really love you? 
If God really loves you, why would he let you have hard times in your life or bad things happen to you? Why, why would God want you to be hungry? Why would God ever want you to have lack of something? God must not be real. God must not be good. All of that, those voices will come, but we prepare ourselves for that. Jesus prepared his disciples for this. I mean, you think of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That we're to pray that way, that we want to be after the mission and will and purpose of the Father. And then he even says, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus taught them to pray that. Give us this day our daily bread. That I would not need to provide for myself, but I trust in your provision, O oh God. That he, 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 we get forgiveness from him of sin as we forgive others. And then he says this part, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Deliver us. Deliver us from evil, God. He's taught us to pray in this way. And so we pray for that. We ask God to not let us fail the test, but rescue us from evil. You will be tested, but you don't have to pass the test in your own strength. You don't battle the enemy alone. You trust in God to deliver you. Get out of here, Satan. Rebuke the enemy. Rely on the word of God. Get out of here. And so then now we examine ourselves. We examine ourselves. We test ourselves in a, in a good way. And we're going to go now into a time of, of communion. Okay? Now into a time of remembering we give thanks, we remember, and we examine ourselves. It says in 1 Corinthians 11 that before you take communion, you should examine yourself. Okay? And we, we pray and we ask God to forgive us. We repent of the sin in our life and we seek him for that. And then we go into remembering. And as we eat of the bread, we remember that God has, Jesus himself, gave his body to be sacrificed upon the cross. And as we drink from the cup, we remember that Jesus has shed his blood for us. We remember that. And so today we're going to actually do this a little bit differently. Normally we, we want to like come and get the elements and then and sit together. and We take it all at the same time. We have a high value for that. So today's just an exception to that a little bit. What I'd like for you to do today is we're going to have just a little bit more of an extended time of worship again. A time of kind of leaning into this. But what I'd love for you to, to do is to come to one of these stations. There's stations around the room that have the communion elements. And I'd love for you to grab the bread and the cup or the little combo one and, and go and find just a spot in the room. Maybe that's your seat. Maybe that's a, a spot off into a corner of the room. And just spend some time with the Lord in confession, in repentance, and in prayer to him before you take, before you eat, before you drink. Okay? And then let's worship God. Let's worship God. And you can be on your knees. You can stand. You can sit. Whatever you need to do to be able to respond, if that's on your face before him. We'll have some people. We'd love for some people to be available, some leaders at the prayer points where you can receive prayer there as well. So let's pray and let's go into a time of just response to our God that we can trust in him because it's in his success 
that we succeed, that we pass the test. He passed the test, so we pass the test in him. And that's what we remember when we take communion. Heavenly Father, you. We trust in you. I thank you, Jesus, that you passed this test. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the one that we rely on. It's your power and your strength. And so, God, I pray that in this moment we would have a time of repentance, a time of confession, and a time of just getting right with you, being real before you, being vulnerable before you, being vulnerable with a brother or sister in Christ that we need to ask for forgiveness, God. So I pray that your spirit would move in us now. Lord God, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.